Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's homily from Father Paul Koska comes from the first Sunday of Lent. To support the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. The gospel passage of the temptation in the desert always uh, makes me tremble slightly because I had a traumatic experience uh, one time on the Mount of Temptation. Uh, I might have told this story before, but I can't really recall, so I'll tell it again if I, just because I don't know. So I was on the Mount of Temptation some years ago, and I did not realize that there is a custom in the Arab world where if you show your feet, then it's really offensive to people. And so I was uh, praying at the Mount of Temptation. I think Father James was with me. And I ended up, you know, sitting in such a way that the bottom of my feet are exposed, and I end up offending the Greek Orthodox monk that is running the monastery. Now, luckily, this year, or a few months ago, I got to go back to the Holy Land, and I was very intentional about my f- f- where I placed my feet, and I had a pretty profound prayer experience with the, the guys that I was with on, this, uh, on the Mount of Temptation, so it sort of redeemed a traumatic experience for me. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, in today's gospel and the readings, obviously we hear both in the first reading and in the gospel about temptation, and in the second reading we see the impact of sin, but also the gift of redemption. And I think the first reading should give us a sort of frustration almost. We should be frustrated by the fact that our first parents, that Adam and Eve, chose, even though they were experiencing at that time original innocence, original holiness, this natural sort of communion with God, and in the midst of all of that beauty and harmony that is happening, they choose through the temptation to give in and bring sin and death into the world in such a way that then we experience the effects of it um, and then struggle with sin ourselves. And so we obviously don't want to just sit here and blame uh, them. We have to take responsibility for our own decisions as well. But nonetheless, there's something profoundly frustrating about today's first reading where the woman and the man uh, see the uh, see the, and hear, uh, see the temptation in a sense, but also hear and are tempted through the words of the enemy. And the enemy will bring death into the world in a number of different ways. It's not just physical death, but the enemy brings disharmony between man and woman and God, and then man and woman between themselves because there was a harmony between them that is disrupted. There's a harmony between God and man that's disrupted when they choose to believe the temptation of the enemy. And the fundamental temptation is to distrust in the goodness of God. Because the question that the enemy asks, the question that the tempter asks is, did God really say? And then the next thing that he says is, you will not die but you will become like God. You'll become like God's. The ironic thing about this is the fact that man and woman are created in the image of, and likeness of God. And so they're already like God. 
But the temptation is true that they will become like God in a sense, in the sense that they will attempt to usurp God, right? Because God is the one that gives us the law, tells us what is good and evil. And so when they take that upon themselves and they judge for themselves what is good and what is evil, uh, they have attempted, in a sense, to usurp God. And it's ultimately, in a sense, through their own selfishness, this selfish disobedience, which leads them to give in to the temptation of the enemy. And they become disobedient. And they corrupt their relationship between each other. They thought, by listening to the voice of the enemy, that they would be, their eyes would be opened in a full way. But all that their eyes were open to was, in a sense, their own selfishness. And so right after they fall, shame comes into their hearts. And Pope John Paul II says that shame enters into their hearts because it's most likely that they started not to trust each other anymore. Rather than seeing each other as the gift they were, they were called to be, they looked at each other as objects to be used. And so then they corrupt their relationship with each other. There's disharmony, there's distrust, and they don't have this communion with each other anymore. And so because of their disobedience, they've destroyed, in a sense, the relationship with God. They've destroyed, in a sense, the relationship with one another. And then they're exiled from the garden. And so we're invited to look at that and be frustrated. Look at that and think to ourselves, why? This mystery of sin, this mystery of iniquity. And the mystery of iniquity leads to death. Sin leads to death. And this is what is brought to the forefront in the second reading. The fact that Adam and Eve disobeyed, brought death into the world, and communicated their deathness, right, the mortality to all of us. But the good news is that Jesus, Jesus and his gift of eternal life is greater than the sin and death that Adam and Eve brought into the world. And even though their sin is mysterious and frustrating, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. And it's a gracious gift. It's a gracious gift. And that should give us joy. Give us joy in the midst of our confusion of the sin of Adam and Eve, but also of our own sin. Because we can be frustrated with ourselves and in a sense despair of ourselves. Like, to know the teaching of Jesus, to have received the Gospels, to have the Catechism of the Catholic Church available to us, to have Pope John Paul II to be a saint who has given us theology of the body, to have these amazing popes in our own time. We have received much, and we have access to so much goodness and truth. We have the sisters of life that we encounter. We have such amazing gifts around us, such good people that we're surrounded by. And yet, we choose, in the midst of all the giftedness that is given to us, to still disobey, to still compromise. And so we're invited to fall into the hands of God, fall into the hands of mercy, to not trust in ourselves, 
but to trust in the Lord who loves us, who gives us his grace, and who desires with his grace to strengthen us through and in the midst of the temptation that we experience. And then in the gospel, we see the gift of Jesus and his victory over the enemy. Jesus wins the victory because he fights back against the enemy. Jesus wins the victory because he fights back against the enemy. This is something that maybe should be obvious to us, but sometimes when you're fighting against a determined enemy, the only thing that will win the day is fighting back. In World War II, when Nazi Germany had taken over most, if not all, of continental Europe, the only thing that we could do to win was to go and to fight. We had to bring the fight to them. That's what D-Day and all of that was all about. It was our willingness as the United States to fight back against a determined enemy. And Jesus today shows us that same example. Jesus does not just listen to the voice of the enemy and give in. Jesus doesn't just listen to the voice of the enemy and not respond at all. Jesus, every time he's tempted, responds. And so we need to do the same thing. Because sometimes what happens is we're tempted, we don't respond, we don't give in to sin, and then we think we're okay. But the reality is we need to get in the practice of responding to every temptation with the truth of the gospel, with the word of God, and to be determined to fight back. Because the fundamental temptation of the enemy is to get us to compromise our principles, compromise the truth of who we know the Lord to be and who we are for the sake of some expediency or for the sake of some false pleasure. And so in order to fight back, we have to be determined to hold on to the truth of who the Lord is and who we are in him. And that we're not going to compromise Because that's all you have to do is to not compromise. All you have to do in order to be victorious over the enemy is to not compromise the truth of who you are and who the Lord has created you to be. So we need to be confident in that. The temptations that we hear about are threefold. We hear about the temptation to turn a rock into bread. We hear about the temptation of Jesus to jump off the parapet of the temple. And then finally, the enemy brings Jesus before all the, to view all the nations of the world and promises that he will give him all the nations if he simply worships him. The temptation to turn a rock into bread is the fundamental temptation for Jesus to do a miraculous sign for his own benefit, which Jesus never does in the Gospels. Jesus never does a miraculous sign for his own benefit. Jesus does not do additional miraculous signs for his own benefit. He'll actually run away from people when they are trying to make him king after he multiplies the bread around the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is not about doing miraculous signs for his own benefit. And so when Satan tempts him with this, he's tempting him to use his divine power for his own benefit rather than for ours. 
The temptation to jump off the top of the temple, what is that all about? Is it just so that Jesus can experience like, you know, a joy ride, like a rush of like, you know, some interesting experience jumping off and then being miraculously saved. It's not just about that. It's not Jesus like a temptation to, to enjoy extreme danger and then have Father rescue him. The idea is that, that and this is pointed out to, to us when we were in Jerusalem recently, was the particular point at which Jesus was being tempted to jump off of was right by where a lot of people would have walked by. So Jesus is being tempted to do this thing, to be rescued and to impress people, rather than just to be who he is. And how often is that a temptation for us, right? We do something because we want to impress somebody. We do something to be seen rather than just to be who we are. And so Jesus denies that temptation, right? He denies the temptation to do something simply to impress people, to increase his fame. But he's, rather than impress people, he's going to, in a sense, distress people. Because he's going to take up the cross. And the cross is not going to impress anybody. When people walk by Jesus the day that he's on the cross, they despise him. Nobody is impressed by Jesus, save maybe the, the women, including Mary, and the centurion. The centurion is one of the only people that articulates Truly, this was the Son of God. Almost everybody else derides him, ignores him, or despises him. And so Jesus does not take this path of impressing people. And then finally, uh, there's the temptation of the enemy uh, to bring Jesus to the perspective of seeing all the nations of the world. And he promises to give all the nations to Jesus if he's simply willing to worship him, Satan. And Jesus resists this as well. And Jesus, rather than choosing, basically this is a shortcut, right? A shortcut to redemption because the ultimate goal of Jesus is to bring about the redemption of all nations. But this particular temptation is a shortcut from the cross to just give in uh, to worship Satan and receive the nations anyways. And so Jesus despises the shortcut and takes up the long road of suffering. Jesus takes up the long road of suffering. And so then we have to ask ourselves that same question. Am I willing to take up the long road of suffering during this Lent? Am I willing to take up the long road of dying to myself dying to my own selfish desires so that I can grow in holiness. Because holiness happens, holiness happens through a long road of obedience. Unless you, you know, have a conversion and die the next day, which statistically is unlikely to happen to you, the way that you're going to become holy is a long road of obediently following the will of Jesus and listening to the word of God. And it won't always be easy, but it will be worth it. It won't always be easy, but it will be worth it. It'll be worth it 
because you want to be with God forever in heaven, but it will also be worth it because virtue is fruitful. Because virtue leads to fruitfulness in your life. And you will be a better person if you're willing to walk the long road of obedience. If you're willing to walk the long road of obedience, you will be formed into the type of person that is like Jesus. And then you will affect people in a beautiful way. You will transform other people's lives because your life has been conformed to his. But you have to choose sometimes the hard path, the long road of obedience, which will lead to life. So let us pray for the grace this night to choose the path that leads to life. Let us be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Let us be resolved and determined to fight back against temptation, to not compromise our principles, but to be men and women who are rooted in the Word of God.